should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Today, we'll air a special program from the Commonwealth Club with guest Bill Nye, the science guy. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Hello, I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's week-to-week political roundtable. You can find out more about week-to-week including how to attend a program when you're in the Bay Area, and about all of our 450 programs a year by going to commonwealthclub.org. Now, let's join today's program. From the Commonwealth Club of California, this is Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. I'm Greg Dalton. In 2007, I went to the Arctic on a global warming expedition with scientists and journalists aboard a Russian icebreaker. Experiencing climate change at the top of the world changed my life, and when I returned, I created Climate One as a project here at the Commonwealth Club. For the last 10 years, I've been interviewing leaders about how burning fossil fuels changes all the systems around us, our food system, our water system, our ecosystem, and our economy. Climate changes everything, and affordable solutions are all around us now. Bill Nye is one of the foremost communicators telling the story of climate opportunity. He appears frequently on the mainstream media defending the rock-solid scientific consensus that humans are cooking the planet. He turned on generations of school children to the wonders of science, and now his life is the subject of a new documentary, Bill Nye, Science Guy. The film, directed and produced by David Alvarado and Jason Sussberg, shows the human side of the funny guy in the bow tie and chronicles Nye's career comeback after his hit TV show. Jason Sussberg is a documentary filmmaker who made The Immortalists, a story of two scientists (laughs) seeking eternal youth in a culture that diminishes the pain of getting old. Please welcome Bill Nye and Jason Sussberg to Climate One. Welcome both. Uh, one of the most dramatic moments in the film, Bill Nye Science Guy, is when you go to Greenland and you go into this scary looking tube cave tunnel down into the ice. So Bill Nye, tell us what you learned there and why it matters to people who will never go to Greenland. You're not going to Greenland? <laughs> uh, uh, what I learned that it's all real. So for years, I have used uh, the ice cores in my public talks, and by that, by used, I mean I did visit years ago. I did visit the um, ice core lab in Golden, Colorado. It, it's Denver. It, it's a suburb of Denver, a zip code next to Denver, where um, they, they we keep the ice from all over the world, like where you went to visit and stuff. So. But in Greenland, we got to participate and carry pieces of ice around and label the plastic bags and stuff. So this very cool, I'm a mechanical engineer because I like this kind of thing, so it's very cool hollow drill bit and you pick up, you pull up, uh, I guess it's 70 centimeter pieces of ice and you can see the layers of snow just like tree rings. And in the ice are you, in, um, as the snowflakes fall, they capture bubbles of air between the tines of the snowflakes, and they get compressed, and the air is trapped in the ice indefinitely. You pull it up, and you can tell the ancient atmosphere. And I used to tell this story in my college talks and stuff, but then when you're actually there and actually get to see it and hold it, it's really 
cool. In fact, it's really cold, freaking cold. <laughs> is minus, so the way they make, you mentioned the word tube, that's really how it's done. Uh, this is University of Copenhagen. They, they take uh, snow plows like you have at, uh, at a ski resort, they dig a big trench, then they inflate this huge hot dog-shaped balloon, mm -hmm. and then bury it with uh, snow blowers. And this, when you run the snow through the snow blowers, the snow gets chopped up. And so uh, I believe the mechanical breaking of the tines produces a, just a tiny bit of heat. And so when they come together, they refreeze. And uh, for you uh, metallurgists, it's called sintering. And this thing becomes just this crazy, super strong under snow ice cave, like some Batman thing. And they drill for three seasons. I mean, drilling till they get to bedrock. And you, I mean, there's nobody, as I say in the film, there's nobody running around with hypodermic needles squirting bubbles into 4,000-year-old ice. Like, it's not, it's not happening, people. It's CSI, except it's real, you know. So, uh, when, so when people say, we're not sure what the climate was like. The, yes, we the, are, <laughs> is the response. Excuse me. <clears throat> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> There's something of an anti-science movement in this country, and you, you talk really? about that in the in the film. Let's let's hear a clip of Bill Nye's science guy talking about this anti-science movement in the United States. Bill Nye is just going around saying CO2 is up, therefore global warming is dangerous. We should be concerned. It's not. It's not dangerous. The world is getting warmer. It's continually getting warmer. If I'm right, the reversals will lead to a degree to a degree and a half cooling. If you're right, they're not. But what are we worried about right now? Okay. What we have, to we have this increasing anti-science movement in the United States. Our president is worried about global warming. What a ridiculous situation. Quotes of Fox News and other commentators, uh, then-candidate Donald Trump uh, from Bill Nye, the science guy, the documentary. Bill Nye, why has that movement, that effort, been so effective in this country? Well, we're here at Climate One, yeah? You guys tell me, but my understanding is the fossil fuel industry has been very successful at introducing the idea that plus or minus 2% is somehow the same as plus or minus 100%, that scientific uncertainty is the same as doubt about the whole thing. And that's not accurate, but it is, I think, writ large, the fossil fuel industry. And so Jason, Sussberg, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Why did you cut out the check? So I, I made a bet. I proposed a bet to Mark Morano, the guy that's in there. And that's the same guy that was in Swift Boat, right? He hired actors to pretend to be uh, Vietnam vets. God. And then um, Joe Bistardi, I offered them each a bet of $10,000 uh, twice. That uh, 2016 would be the hottest year on record, and that 2010, 2020 would be the hottest uh, decade on record. And I had big check printed. Do you know where you get a big check? From a company called bigcheck.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it's no big deal. But anyway, you cut it out right there. Yeah, we did cut it out. We had, you know, a documentary can only be so much. And so we had 100 minutes and we figured we wanted, it was a sober portrait of you challenging these guys. And that was it, we left it in, but it was a little silly. So yeah. it lives on on the internet, but in the film, we kept it a little sober. <laughs> Can't have anything silly with a movie about Bill Nye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but Good point. so uh, you get the check printed, and neither one of them would take the bet. And it looks like 2017 will be the hottest year, actually. P people thought with El Nino, El Nino cooling off that it wouldn't be as hot, but I guess thanks to the fires... Uh, 2017 will just eke out 2016. Way to go, 2017. So Jason Susper, there's r some really interesting characters in this film. Tell us about Joe Bastardi, who is just straight from Central Casting. <laughs> yeah, Joe is a trained meteorologist. He has his degree from Penn State University. It's the same university that Dr. Michael Mann teaches at, who was at Climate One a couple months ago with Tom Tolles. Um, and he is uh, you know, serious uh, meteorologist. He works for an organization called Weather Bell. Um, he's actually a very good long-range forecaster. 
he's serious at what he, what he does. However, and Bill can attest to this, he just doesn't see the link between CO2 and our rising climate. So it's a little mysterious. I don't know what his motivations are. We met him, but it's still unclear why he comes to the conclusions that he comes he's to. He's also a bodybuilder. Uh, oh, that's a yes. That is an odd thing. <laughs> uh, no, it is. You guys, he's, he's been a champion. Yeah. Right? He's, you know, these overbuilt guys. Senior class, he's over 60, but he's, um, yeah, watch the movie, you'll see. So, Bill, you spend some time with him, you go to his home, you hope you have a glass of wine, you hope that you might be able to bring him around. Did you make any progress? Yes, so, maybe. Uh, here's what I say, if, for, if you meet people, you know, I'm a long, just to talk some more about me, me, me. I'm a long-time skeptic, you know, I belong to both skeptic organizations and, uh, uh when someone is first exposed to the idea that astrology may not be true, that there really aren't ghosts, that nobody has psychic powers that enables them to predict with whom you will fall in love or so on, uh, it takes somebody about two years to come around to that. You're like the first time you're exposed to the idea that astrology was made up 2,000 years ago was just sort of shot in the dark and the sun, the, the, the um, uh, constellations have shifted. The sun rises in a different place now than it did 2,000 years ago. It takes somebody a couple thousand, a couple years, to, <laughs> a couple thousand years. I misspoke. A couple years to uh, change their mind. So this, I look at this as chipping away. But part of the, what's the word? Odd nature of the Bastardi family is they invited us. I thought it was to dinner at 6:30 p.m. 1830 hours, but there was no food. There were no, no Dorito chips. There was nothing. <laughs> I'm not joking you. It was. He's trying to throw was, you off, his, yeah, off your game. They were it, just going to keep you kind of, uh, you know, hungry and feed yeah, you alcohol. Yeah, so it was weird. It was a weird. The whole interaction was weird. But he, I think you watch the film and you decide for yourself. But I think he equates the idea that 0.03 percent carbon dioxide now. 0.0403% carbon dioxide, uh, 403, that's the same number as 403 parts per million. That because that fraction is small, then its effect must be small. So he somehow went to meteorology school at a venerable university and didn't understand or it didn't become clear to him the greenhouse effect, greenhouse gases. You know, without this tiny fraction of carbon dioxide, there'd be no green plants, there'd be no us. I mean, for crying out loud, Joe. So um, I offered him a $20,000 bet, he wouldn't take it. I, and that was not arbitrary. The $10,000 was chosen because that's what Mitt Romney wanted to bet uh, Rick Perry, the governor of Texas at that time, do you remember? I'll bet you $10,000 during one of the oh, Republican Oh, yeah, it's like... So that's where I got that number. I thought it was a conservative, like, traditional huge amount of money. <laughs> Playing with the high rollers. Um, and, and by the way, he is not alone. There's a lot of meteorologists who also have been very difficult to get on board with, uh, with climate science. Uh, Jason Sussberg, also there's Garrett Bastardi, who's a very interesting character in this film. Tell us about him, because he seems really conflicted, and there's, you're the Garrett whisperer, so. <laughs> so Garrett is, yeah, Joe's son. He's also a student at Penn State, his father's alma mater. And in the, in the film, there's this tension between um, his dad's position, that the earth is not changing and humans are not controlling it, and then there's his childhood hero, Bill, um, and there's, you know, the mainstream science perspective. And so Joe is kind of on this like razor's edge and he could tilt, I'm oh, sorry, Garrett, sorry, is on this razor's edge and he could tilt either way. He could follow his father or he could uh, listen to mainstream science. And so we left the film in an ambiguous way. We still to this day don't know what Garrett's position is, though he's, he's basically following in his father's footsteps for now. We'll see what happens with him. We're trying, you're trying to get him to come to one of the screenings, right? I, we can't show him the movie. Every time we've tried to get uh, Jared, uh, Garrett and Joe to see it, um, there's been a problem. So he hasn't seen the film yet, and maybe we need to take it to you know State College, Pennsylvania. Hey Sit man, him in a room. Let's go. <laughs> Michael Mann and everybody, we can watch Michael it together. Michael Mann would do it in a sec. <laughs> yeah. Michael Mann is a climatologist at Penn State University. Um, we're well, but hold it. There's more. Just a minute. Michael Mann was the lead guy in 1995 who first published the hockey stick graph. I mean, he's like the real deal guy. 
And if you read his biography or the book he wrote where he talks about growing up, he realized uh, that you could look at tic-tac-toe. Any configuration of tic-tac-toe was really the same. All you had to do was rotate it. That's what he was doing for fun <laughs> while you guys were doing normal things. Uh, and also, I guess he grew up, seriously, he grew up in the Boston area where the people would play hockey for fun. So hockey stick was very much part of his uh, childhood. And he's been attacked uh, quite a lot. You know, they had attorney generals, a subpoena for his, his records, that sort of thing. Did, did um, you know, he's kind of really been in the political uh, trenches as a scientist. Bill Nye, what, uh, what have you felt in terms of the denial machine coming after you? Attacks for, you know, it must be old hat by now. But what you know, you get? I don't play in Michael's. Michael Mann's league. I mean, he had people sending him white powder and envelopes, parking a van with this really mean-spirited cartoon on the side. He's got little kids going to school, you know, we hate you, Mr. Dr. Mann, you are evil. And, uh, but people do, climate deniers have a lot of trouble with me, yeah. But I, uh, what are you gonna do? You gotta fight the fight. You guys, this is the only problem we've got, is climate change. We've just gotta address this, and the opportunities are huge. They're huge. <laughs> but we got to get started. One of the th uh, points made in the film is changing the narrative. Uh, and as you know, uh, the tobacco companies in the 50s said, we're not sure. They doubted science, famously said, doubt is our product. That was then picked up by the oil companies. And lately, it's kind of the NFL saying, we're not so sure. What do you see as the thread between those narratives about in, in the importance of changing that denial narrative? Well, the word thread is good because the fossil fuel industry hired the same guys from the cigarette days, the very same people. Uh, and I mean, the NFL, you're talking about concussions? Concussions, that people yeah. say, we're not sure that, that what causes oh, yeah. CTE, and, and there's lots of people out there still playing football when the science is emerging that that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I just feel the scale of climate change and the scale of cigarettes is way bigger than, mm -hmm. uh, uh, head trauma. Uh, and you know, <laughs> when I played soccer, I played center midfield in high school. It was a point of honor to head the ball. You know, the guy, we had this goalie who could kick at half the field, Rick Eifler, and, and the, you know, you wanted to be, uh, to head it to show how cool you were. And look, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, maybe I messed up, we'll see. So uh, uh, anyway, the, the thread is that, that Denial or doubt is their friend. I mean, it does work. It is very effective. And I think of uh, Frank, Frank Luntz. Is that his first name? Frank? Polster. Right. What's his name? Polster mm -hmm. Group, yeah. Yeah, Frank Luntz. Yeah. How does he have a gig? How does he get a job? He's the guy that told uh, the Republican Party, doubt is your friend, doubt is your friend. I mean, he, I don't know if you're out there, Mr. Luntz, but you kind of left the world worse than you found it. I know you were making a living, but for crying out loud... So I think what's going to happen as people come of age, and uh, my claim is that climate deniers are almost universally older, that is to say baby boomers and up. And when those guys and gals age out, can I use that term? <laughs> uh, then scientifically literate people will emerge and get to work on climate change very quickly. I mean, really fast. I think the pendulum will swing back really fast. I think um, when you have somebody saying there are more people at this inauguration than there were at the other one, no, there weren't. <laughs> like, that's not going to be sustainable is a modern word. That won't, that just won't last. But the question that I think about continually every hour of every day is, how is it going to happen in time? Where will the curves cross? Will the deniers get aged out fast enough for the climate change embracers, let's do something about us to emerge? And that's why you have Climate One. Here we are. Way to go. Let's talk about solutions. Uh, there's a lot of debate. People think it's so big. What can I do that matters? Individual action. Does individual action matter? Or is it like writing a check to the federal government to pay down the national debt? That would work. <laughs> uh, hey, you guys, I'll tell you something else. Uh, my opinion, which, as you know, is generally excellent. <laughs> uh, if people paid enough taxes, actually, the federal debt would go down, actually. That's so not magic. That's arithmetic. 
But one it's, person doing that on their own. Oh, yeah, not, I see would, what you mean. Yes. Yeah, one person on so, their own. Would but not. if my claim is if everybody were talking about climate change, if we were talking about climate change the way we talk about what happened in Charlottesville or what happened in Texas uh, uh, yesterday, people would be doing something about it. If we were talking about it just every day, yes, recycle your water bottle, don't squander water bottles, don't squander water, don't leave the lights on. Don't take unnecessary car trips that you don't need to take. Yes, yes, yes. Put in double pane, triple pane windows. Yes, yes, yes. But if we were talking about it the way we talk about it, these other issues, we'd be getting her done. And the evidence for this I present to you comes from my parents, and they're mentioned in the film. During World War II, everybody was talking about World War II. That's all they were talking about. The music, the food, everything was about winning the war. And so if we had that same idea about climate change, or, or from my own lifetime, the Apollo program, we're going to beat these other guys to the moon, and that will somehow uh, achieve something. And it did, and the former Soviet Union went out of business, most of it. <laughs> Some of it's still going. Uh, we would be getting her done. But that greatest generation believed in that collective sacrifice in a way that Jason Sussberg, the millennial generation that you're part of, that grew up on Bill Nye, one of the critiques of that generation is that they uh, want all their convenience, they want the food delivered to them, they don't do sacrifice, uh, they think that clicking on an icon on Facebook, that that's activism. So tackle that in terms of his... Okay, I'm going to be the voice of my generation. Is yeah, that what you are, yes. I mean... Everybody. <laughs> I mean... I, I just find that to be, well, first off, give us a second here. We're just emerging. This generation of millennials, we are, what, 20 to 35. There needs to be some time to see what, what happens with the millennial generation. I just find that to be old man shaking fist at sky and hand wringing. <laughs> if you want to talk, baby boomers have caused all the problems. So if, if we're impatient... <laughs> We, we actually did an entire Climate One podcast on a, a generation of sociopaths, and there's a book out there yeah. trashing the boomers for what they've done. Well, yeah. Very reasonable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I think that our generation, and Bill was absolutely instrumental in getting a lot of millennials to take science seriously. We are going to be, as Bill says, captains of industry one day. We are going to be elected leaders. And when that does happen, I think it's tending in, or trending in the right direction. So I'm hopeful. Bill Nye, if someone's young, millennial or below, wants to get into a climate change career, what kind of, you obviously speak to basic science more than applied science, thanks to the guidance you got from Carl Sagan. What kind of career paths would you say people ought to look to to kind of really have an impact in their, in their job, not just, you know, the, as a consumer? Well, so keep in mind that I'm an engineer. I mean, I went to engineering school right on. I mean, I love, I love pure science as much as the next guy, maybe more but I became an engineer because I like bicycles and airplanes. They're fun. Uh, uh, but there's three things we want for everybody in the world. We want clean water, renewably produced, reliable electricity, and access to the internet, or whatever the internet comes to be called in the coming decades. With those three things, uh, we could, I believe, provide a high quality of life for everyone on Earth. In order to provide clean water, we're going to need new technologies or uh, better technologies for, let's say, desalinating seawater, let's say capturing, or the modern word is harvesting rainwater. But for that, we're going to need venture capitalists, we're going to need attorneys to protect intellectual property, we're going to need people to deliver the food to the people working on these things. We're going to need everybody working together. And I think we can do that, because I watched what happened to my parents I, uh, in World War II. They all got together and solved this global problem in five years or whatever it was, four and a half years. So I think we can do that. And, uh, but in the, the beginning of all that is going to be technology, which comes from uh, innovation, which comes from science. So let's go. It's going to be exciting. And can we... Is it okay to talk about Mark Jacobson and the Solutions Project? Sure. In fact, he's, I've interviewed him. The question is whether we can get to 100%. California as a state is trying to, has gone to 50. Can we get to 100%? Is that realistic? A lot of people say... So one of my favorite stories from my own life, because really interesting, I was there. <laughs> but I was a consultant to General Motors at one point. You know, I, 
I do college talks. I do talks for companies, corporations, whatever. And instead of money, I negotiated for the use of the EV1, the Electric Vehicle 1, which General Motors called this car. They didn't call it the Ventura or the Impala or the Bel Air. They called it the Impact. That's a car. That's not what you want in a car. <laughs> so these same bunch of guys were in this meeting. They were almost all men. There were two women, almost all men. And, you know, what we want, Bill, we want our light trucks to be 50% recyclable. No, no. You want them to be 100% recyclable. For I sure hope I get a C in this class. Jason Sussberg, one of the interesting points in the film, I thought, is when um, you actually got uh, Bill Nye to sit down and, and talk with uh, Heather Berlin, who's a neuroscientist. You kind of got him on the couch with a shrink, and he talks about some, some of the personal things. Tell me about setting that scene up, and was it hard to get him to do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so Bill jokingly put his finger to his head like a gun. However, that was Bill's idea, was to introduce us to Heather Berlin, um, because Heather was doing a, uh, a re research that she stopped and now has since started again. Um, uh, that's uh, called your your brain on fame, and fame. it's fame, fame on dangerous. the brain. Yeah, exactly. And the idea is that celebrity has an effect on your your neurology, and so she sit Bill through a, a battery of tests, personality including tests. IQ tests. Yeah, which we didn't show. <laughs> Not that they were bad. They were you have a very high IQ, <laughs> but uh, that we, and we cut that out. Fifty will get you a. Starbucks latte. Be <laughs> sure to have the 350 though. Actually, it's 450 now. Yeah, four dollars and fifty cents. But Bill was a very good sport in letting us, you know, take him through those battery of tests and also sitting through that um, sort of therapy. But it was a, it was sort of a a trick for us as filmmakers to have her ask the questions that could really dive deep into who he is and what drives him and mo his motivations. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was sort of a narrative trick to have a real neuroscientist sit across from Bill and sort of interrogate him about his, uh, his, uh, his ideas. And Bill Nye, the upshot was that you always had this drive to be famous, and yet there's parts of being famous that you don't really like. Yeah, so everybody, the filmmakers got my good friend Steve Wilson <laughs> rambling, and he said Bill's always wanted to be famous. Sort of. What I've always wanted to be is influential, okay? So the fame part, I didn't really have worked out, I admit. Uh, but uh, it does affect you. So Dr. Berlin, Heather, um, is a, a neuroscientist, and one of the recent, relatively recent findings in neuroscience is your brain can change in a way that's ch it's changed enough you can see it on an MRI, a magnetic resonance image. And uh, like it's been shown that talk therapy, sitting and chatting it up with a psychiatrist or whatever it would be, can change your brain over the course of a year or two. So I think that's part of her interest. You know, they love their MRIs because uh, it's only in recent times that you could, you know, Sigmund Freud didn't have access to magnetic resonance images. So I think that's part of what's in the background. And uh, it, she did get me talking. It does, uh, that's the one part of the movie I just want to kill myself. <laughs> uh, Time for our lightning round. I'm before you do, Bill, can we get an MRI before and after? <laughs> can we film it? The scientific, lightning round, okay, scientific lightning round. Scientific validation. Yeah. Uh, gonna ask you uh, to each uh, mention of, of noun or a person and get your first thing that comes to your mind, unfiltered, not thinking about- Sex. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 80% of the time, that's probably true. Um, Jason Sussberg, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. <laughs> Clown, wrong. Bill Nye, Science Educator Carl Sagan. Uh, brilliant. Jason Sussberg, The Creation Museum. <laughs> Terrifying. Troubling, yeah. Uh, Bill Nye, Model and Entrepreneur Carly Kloss. Oh, she's cool, cool. She's also on. She's lovely. She's cool. And she's uh, a correspondent on your Netflix show. Uh, Bill Nye, President Trump's science advisor. Who is it? Lost. <laughs> he has not appointed uh, one yet. Okay, this is true or false. Uh, Jason Sussberg, true or false. You know how to tie a bow tie. 
after this film, yes. Ah, you learned something. Uh, true or false, Bill Nye, you started doing stand-up comedy after winning a Steve Martin look-alike contest in 1978. True. Everybody want to get small, okay. No, it was that era. I had the arrow through the head. The, and so you guys, I met him eventually. It was cool. It was really a cool evening. To see that photo. Uh, true or false, Jason Sussberg, it took weeks of hard work to come up with the film title, Bill Nye, Science Guy. True. <laughs> Not kidding. We went back and forth. Uh, true or false, Bill Nye, many opponents of nuclear power do not ground their opposition in knowledge of the science. Uh, if that's a true or false, I guess that's uh, true. But the problem that the nuclear industry has had is nobody wants it. That's, that's the biggest drawback. Nobody wants a nuclear power plant around. And it is it just objectively everybody, shoot the messenger or whatever, but this idea that you have waste products that are dangerous for 10,000 years, uh, you know, 10 Roman empires, some people just think that's a little irresponsible to be burying that someplace. Jason Sussberg, true or false, science is more political now than it ever has been. Uh, I would say true, but I'm not, what do you think, Bill? Well, here's what we like to say. Science has always been political. What you want is not to have it partisan. So something to think about. Where do you, I mean, Going to the moon was an investment to win a unspoken Cold War, right? Uh, and it, it was nominally effective. Uh, where do you invest in basic research? You know, without investment in the de Department of Defense, you wouldn't have the Internet. Without investment in space, you wouldn't have the Internet. And look what the Internet does. I mean, a paper check? <laughs> True or false, Bill Nye, you believe in climate change. You don't get to believe in it. It's, it's, a, it's not a belief. It's a thing. It's a real thing. True or false, Bill Nye, after this show, you will go with me up to the roof and throw a watermelon off the roof of this building. I don't think that's true. Ah. <laughs> uh, but I'm open-minded if you really want to do it. And you have a permit or somebody on the ground to keep from knocking somebody on the head or crushing a car. So another thing that happened to me in college, and I did not do this, but a guy threw a water balloon off the ninth floor of this building, and it, boom, dented the roof of a Volkswagen bug. Wow. In other words, you know this old saying, you can stop a locomotive with a mosquito if it's going fast enough. So uh, don't get hit with a watermelon thrown from the ninth floor. We won't do that. Uh, only get that once, I think. That was, a, yeah, one of the most popular uh, shows was that, that, that gravity show. Jason Sussberg, true or false, climate deniers should be ignored. False. Bill Nye, true or false, facts rarely change people's minds about deeply held views. That's false. It just takes a while. Last question, uh, true or false, Bill Nye, selfies cause brain damage. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> All right, that I'm not kidding you guys, it's this thing, it's this constant input. It's, it's weird. It is, I did not anticipate it. It was, it's weird. Now, if you're gonna take a selfie, have the camera facing the right way. Have the memory not full. Have the battery. There's a famous picture that it broke the internet where it's Neil deGrasse Tyson, me, and this other guy, um, uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> are, and Neil takes this thing freaking seriously. There's no way, there's no way I was gonna ask the President of the United States for a freaking selfie. That was not gonna freaking happen. But Neil, could do it. I mean, he could do it because of his manner and, and so on. So Neil's getting this thing lined up and he's thinking deep thoughts and he wants to have the right artwork in the background and he's got this thing going. And he takes out his phone and the memory's full. So I took that picture. I did that. And held it above your eyes, just a little above your eyes, otherwise it looks like you're asleep. All right. So when people can't do it, grown-ups with phones, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. You ought to have a license. I love you all. <laughs> Let's talk about food and the importance of food. Uh, people uh, think that a lot of climate is really abstract. How important is agriculture and food and making the kind of changes that we want to make for climate? There's no connection at all. What do you want? Of course, it's like huge. 
It's so, uh, you know, I, um, speaking of which, tomorrow Neil will be, Neil deGrasse Tyson will be here in town talking about that new movie. Uh, what's it called? Food, it's about food. Food evolution. evolution. Food evolution, uh, yeah. Right. And I think I was interviewed in that movie when I was still very skeptical of the efficacy of uh, genetically modified crops. Uh, later on, I decided that genetically modified crops are sort of part of the solution. They're part of the, they're a tool in the toolbox. They're not inherently bad, but they're not a uh, panacea either. So uh, I, I, gotta, I haven't seen that film yet. I wonder how I come off, terrible or, or okay. But, uh, but explain your, your, your conversion. We've, there's a podcast on that. Oh, on that so my, my claim, my belief is, was that you can't know the ecosystem, that you would accidentally do something to crops that would create a super bug, you'd create some virus that you couldn't anticipate and stuff. But after I did two things, I went to Monsanto itself. Oh, you went to Monsanto, oh my God. Yeah. In St. Louis. Uh, I decided they really could tell. They really can tell what genes are gonna do and they really are diligent about uh, monitoring the crops and keeping so-called sterile refuges. They're really into it. Uh, they're very, very careful about it. But Monsanto has a terrible reputation, I think, for two reasons. First of all, they used to make Agent Orange, which I don't know if you guys are of an age, the Vietnam War, this default, uh, they would denude Vietnam in the hopes of making battles more successful, but it had this horrible knock-on effect of giving these people this horrible disease. I guess it was cancer-related thing. And then uh, they, why didn't the, not just Monsanto, but Pioneer, DuPont, those, uh, Syngenta, why didn't all those guys come out? Proudly GMO, check us out, our corn is even better. You know, why didn't they do that? I don't know, they're not that great at public relations. Uh, they weren't. Then uh, the other thing I'd say, you guys, the climate is changing. Crops are gonna move north to, in, from North America. They're gonna move into Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, maybe and we're gonna be ready for that. The problem is the speed. It's the speed that these things are happening. And so with modern genetics, they, are they agricultural scientists, agriculture geneticists, are able to anticipate uh, changes and make crops that are more drought resistant or more flood resistant or literally more wind resistant, which is amazing. And so, um, there's something to it. And then on the, on the Bill Nye Saves the World show, we had the mythic guy from Monsanto, Rob Fraley. We had a farmer, a woman from Iowa, who says she's ninth generation farmer, and a guy from the Department of Agriculture. And everybody agreed that uh, genetically modified food has a place. It does not solve all your problems, but it has a place. I think some of the critics of uh, GMOs are uh, more concerned about industrial monoculture, the so, massive use of glyphosate. It's what it enables. It's not just the GMOs themselves. It's, it's the other things. That well, they so you guys, as far as herbicides, if you like herbicides, who doesn't? <laughs> glyphosate is actually pretty benign compared to some of this stuff. You know, Even though the state of California has listed it as a carcinogen. Well, it may be. And the, I, my understanding is it may be. Uh, I'm not an expert on that, but compared to a lot of other stuff, it's not as bad as other things. And another big idea, you guys, okay, whatever, don't shoot the messenger, but something to keep in mind is farming is not natural. You know, if you stop farming, nature goes back to uh, forests or prairies or whatever it was. And that's sort of a big idea that I think people lose sight of. If I, without humans just going crazy, you would not have a farm. You could certainly not have 7.4 billion people eating around the world. So just you know, sort of keep that in mind. Uh, but watch the film. I haven't seen it yet, Food Evolution. Uh, uh, but I, another thing, another claim they make for you to consider. Oh, yeah, the other thing I did, I went to the Monarch Venture. So this is kind of a hippie titled thing. It was held in Minneapolis. So they got people, the corporate pigs, Rob Fraley and people from DuPont from uh, Pioneer Seeds and the people that monitor the flight of monarch butterflies. And they got them all together. And the farmers and the cowboys should be friends. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, 
they got them all together and they decided that if they had milkweed, which I like to call milk flower, it may look like a weed to you and me, but to a monarch butterfly, it's their source, it's their sustenance, it's what they got to have. If they had these patches of milkweed along the flyways, which is a cool word, where the monarchs make their, their, their highway in the sky, then they could sustain large populations of monarchs without screwing up farms very much. Because farmers don't like milkweed, it takes over everything. And it's worked. Uh, the last three years, the monarch population has, grown, has gotten bigger. But three years is not much of a sample size. So stay tuned. Is it because of El Nino, rainfall, or is it because of the refuges? But here's what I'm saying is everybody acknowledges there was a problem with the monarch populations going down. And everybody, both the hippies and the corporate pigs, wanted to do something about it. So that was really moving for me. I, that was, I was really impressed with that. I, I paid my own way, you guys. Speaking of severe weather, I'd like to get you a couple of explainers before we go to audience questions, because you're known as the great explainer. We've had a lot of fires, a lot of hurricanes recently. Starting with the fires, what is the climate connection with, with the fires in America? Oh, so it was big rainfall in the spring. Then it got really dry and, and super hot in the summer. So when things started burning, there was a lot of fuel. And man, how many people were not affected by the fires? Yeah, everybody was affected by the fires. Everybody either was, had their lives destroyed or uh, they, you know somebody who had his life or her life destroyed. You guys, let's get to work on this problem. Come on, let's go. Uh, and Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria. Nothing what? to worry about, everything's fine. <laughs> so there's everything all at once. There's, uh, you know, it's never, as we say in airplane crashes, it's never any one thing. So Houston has all this hardscape, uh, huge, fast, fastest growing large city in the U.S., maybe in the Western Hemisphere, some crazy statistic like that. And so there's all this uh, asphalt, so-called sealed roads, uh, waterproof roads. And when it rained and stayed there, the problem just got worse and worse and worse. So my understanding is after Hurricane Katrina, people's houses were flooded and ruined and they lost everything. And if someone had gone to those people, they interviewed people and said, okay, here's half the value of your house and everything you own. Would you abandon your house? Everybody said, yeah. But after it drains, and there is no relief, and you can't sell it, nobody wants to buy your soaked up house, you just stay. So then the problem happens again. And I wonder all the time, is there gonna be a future? People just start leaving Houston, Corpus Christi, Pensacola, uh, Miami, Miami Beach, those are two different cities, just start leaving. And then is somebody gonna go to New Orleans, is somebody gonna go in there and try to salvage all the copper plumbing and wire? I mean, is there going to be a salvage business we haven't even thought of yet? Wow. So the, it's the speed that's the problem. Let's get to work. And so that's really dark. How do you stay motivated Try to, to like... <laughs> oh, because... Oh, man. So do you, who is from Iowa? Anyone from Iowa? No hands. Uh, Iowa gets 25% of its electricity from the wind, competing head-to-head -head with uh, oil and gas. Uh, a friend of mine lives in uh, Coweta, Oklahoma, uh, Broken Arrow, um, 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 Tulsa, suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They have earthquakes. They don't like earthquakes. It's from fracking. It's just like nobody thought you could frack to the extent that you'd have earthquakes, like magnitude five, like real things. And nobody wants that. And then Texas, get, in the springtime, gets 10% of its electricity from the wind. Now, I'm not saying the wind is the whole answer, but it just shows you what's possible. Come on, man, let's go. This will be cool. Let's make changes. Oh, the other thing, young people, transmission lines, better uh, electric power lines. I mean, what we have doesn't suck, but we can do way better, I'm sure of it. So the jet fuel, transmission lines, solar hot water. Cool stuff, get on it. Uh, first question from Facebook for Bill Nye from Jessica Hill on Facebook. What do you make of environmental movements within the Christian framework, such as creation care? I don't know creation okay. care, but... Uh, it's just a religious term for stewardship of God's creation. Sounds great. I mean, 
we uh, have more. We are more alike than we are different. So uh, go for it. But whatever it, it is, the Earth is not six thousand years old. And trying to base your science or your understanding of the Earth on the idea that it was six thousand years old and that four thousand years ago there was a flood around the whole Earth that nobody wrote down except some people in Mesopotamia. Be skeptical of the rest of your geology. So, yes, creation care. Go, go, go. Yes. And dinosaurs and humans did not live at the they same time. They did not time. live at the same time. But <laughs> dinosaurs and humans do live at the same time now. Ha, ha, ha. Because we have birds. Birds are dinosaurs. Don't come running to me. I don't make the rules. <laughs> Other question from uh, Facebook for Bill Nye. Adam Alford, aren't we worried about our education system not cultivating science literature, literacy for the next generation? If I were king of the forest, we want science every day in every grade, from preschool through senior and high school. Science every day in every grade. And if you're a teacher, thank you, sure, yes, wow, brilliant. If you're a teacher and you're uncomfortable teaching science, just get comfortable because kids love it. Blow stuff up, it's fun. <laughs> And uh, it doesn't mean you have to do science for six hours every day. Just do a little science. Every kindergarten class, a little science in, in fourth grade. It, kids love it. It's fun for you. And the big thing we want to get everybody is not, not the facts of science. Yes, it's great. I met a kid the other day that memorized the periodic table, knows every number and name of element, alphabetical order or in order, uh, in numerical order. But what we want is for people to learn the process, to think critically. Like, is this reasonable? Is what I'm being told or what I'm reading online reasonable? If we could learn that skill, we could change the world. We have some educators in the audience. Let's give them a round. Any educators in the audience, give them a round of applause. Oh, so taxpayers and voters fund. We want to fund science every day and every grade. Let's go to our audience question. First one over here for Bill Nye. Yes, welcome to Climate One. Why did you become a scientist? How did you become a scientist? And when did you become a scientist? These are great questions. So uh, I've been asked this before, so I'll tell you this. I was playing Hearts. Do you know that game? It's a card game that features tricks like uh, Bridge. And I was sitting on the front porch learning this grown-up game, and I got stung by a bee. And I think I was three and a half, I think. It was in the summertime. And this was traumatic. Uh, this was hurt. I didn't like it. Ouch. Sting. Ow. Crying. Miserable. Three and a half. Can't understand this. Then my mother put ammonia on it. Do you know what ammonia? You know Windex? That's the main ingredient in Windex. And on the bottle is a skull and crossbones. <laughs> my mother's trying to kill me, which I understand. Uh, she tried a few more times, but the, the pain went away. And I just was fascinated with that. And then I found out along about that same time that my grandfather, my mother's father, who had died before I was born, was an organic chemist. And they gave me his glassware to play with. And this was back in the day, uh, like my nephew and niece are uh, chemical engineers, and they use a software, ChemDraw. Anybody into ChemDraw? It's a party. But my grandfather didn't have any such thing. Instead, the skills that he learned were blowing glass. My niece and nephew don't blow glass. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I just thought science was cool. And then I found out that you could do science for a living as an engineer. And I sort of found that out when I was working in a bike shop, a bicycle shop. And uh, so it's been a lifelong process, my friend. Science is how we know nature. It's the coolest. I think it's the best idea humans have ever had. Thank you. Thanks for that question. She's smiling. Let's go to our next audience question for Jason Sussberg and Bill Nye. Hi, I'm Sierra, and um, I'm really excited to be here. So there's this big, um, there's been a sort of fight between environmentalists on um, either doing something about the problem of climate change or learning to live with it? And where do you stand on that? Uh, the answer is everything all at once. The answer is, wait, you're both right. In other words, uh, the expression is we want to work the problem from both ends. 
We want to have a, a less of an effect or bad effect on the environment, but we also want to innovate so that we can provide clean water, electricity, and internet to everyone. We've got to work it both ways. And the shortest cut to this, by the way, is to raise the standard of living of girls and women. When you do that, <clears throat> thank you. I mean, thank you for the applause, you guys, but this isn't really, I didn't make this up, but when you raise this standard of living of girls, and it's generally through education, when they become, when they grow up and become women, in general, they have fewer kids, and the kids they have have a better quality of life because they have more resources. And then they have a slower, less of an impact on the environment. However, note well, humans, humankind now moves more rock and soil than mother nature does. This is really a sobering and amazing idea. With all the bulldozers for all the shopping malls, all the explosives and all the mines, all the explosives to make highways, humans move more dirt than nature. So we're in charge here. We are running the planet, and we have to take responsibility for it. And so it is uh, terrifying and cool. It is sobering and empowering. And you are going to be a big part of that. Go get them. <laughs> Save the world. Let's get our next question for Bill Nye and Jason Sussberg. Um, uh, I actually got, kind of started thinking about this um, watching the Venice episode of uh, Bill Nye Saves the World. And... Um, what do you think is more important to focus on at the moment? Uh, employing defense mechanisms against the effects of climate change or working on a kind of reversing climate change and stopping our impact on... Reversing climate change things really hard. Uh, instead, we're going to have to learn to live with higher carbon dioxide levels. I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just really hard. Uh, you know, the old saying when you... Uh, Rick... Uh, um, two Mile Time Machine. Rick, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ashley? Uh, he's going to sue me. Anyway, once you get the, the roast in the oven, for people who are not vegans, once the roast is in the oven uh, and you take it out of the oven, it keeps cooking. The heat keeps moving into the middle of the roast. The same is true for the earth, in a sense. There's so much carbon extra carbon dioxide put there so fast we're not going to be able to take it out at the rate we put it in over the last two and a half centuries. But uh, the longest journey begins with a single step. So, uh, as I say, we we'll do everything all at once. Provide clean water, electricity, internet, and produce zero emissions. Let's go. Let's get her done. Next, next question for Bill Nye and Jason Sussberg at Climate One. Decarbonization. Um, in California, approximately 40% of greenhouse gas emissions come from transportation sector. And so we're working here in California on electric vehicles as a solution to a policy which is to that problem. It seems to work in California because a lot of our electricity comes from re renewable sources in an increasing amount. But in other states, uh, we don't have that same situation. We have a lot more fossil fuels that provide the electricity. So what is your thinking about electric vehicles as a solution to greenhouse gases? Electric vehicles are a key, in my opinion. And, you know, my opinion is correct, so big time saver. <laughs> no, there's two problems with cars. The first one is you're burning fossil fuels everywhere, and that becomes carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide and unburned gas, gasoline, ends up in the atmosphere. The other thing is the, the pollution you make is so spread out. It's just uh, you're spreading the pollution all over the map. Anyway, after you drive an electric car, you guys, you never go back. You just, no. Why would you want that old clunky thing that's loud and spew? And you got to stop and buy gas? You mean I can't just go home and plug in and have a full charge in the morning? You have to stop at a gas station? What, do you want a Pepsi that badly? <laughs> and so uh, uh, you'll never go back. And the, the technology's finally coming on. And by the technology, I mean mainstream automakers. Is there anybody here who does not have a Tesla? <laughs> a couple people. And they're cool, but they, it is regular auto manufacture, you guys. It's, just, it's the same problem. It's assembly line. You put the thing together, it comes out. So uh, other thing, right now it's estimated that operating an electric car costs operating, costs about a quarter of operating a gas-powered car. They're quiet. 
when I'm on the phone and hands-free in the car, people think I'm holding the phone in my ear because it's so quiet. You'll never go back. The performance is better in every way around corners. The weight is low. The center of gravity is low. They corner. Everything's better. So, yes, uh, electric vehicles. But I imagine, I just think about my grandfather who went into World War I on a horse. And I guess riding a horse was something you learned to do at the turn of the last century. It was just something everybody learned to do. He rode around at night in France uh, uh, on a horse with trenches everywhere. He married a French woman, girl, came to the States. Uh, but 25 years later, when people got involved in World War II, what I whimsically call the extended dance mix of the same war, uh, nobody was on a horse. Nobody who was serious about fighting a war was on a horse. So I think of electric vehicles uh, as an intermediate step. Like, I think there's going to be self-driving cars before you know it, self-driving trucks for sure. And then people are going to start asking the old question about the efficiency of rubber-tired vehicles in general. You know, the big advantage of railroads and subways is steel wheels on steel tracks have way, way less friction than uh, rubber tires on roads. So uh, electric vehicles are a huge part of the solution. Uh, first of all, uh, it's more, they're inherently more efficient. Secondly, they don't spread the pollution all over the place. Oh, I can get on the second law of thermodynamics. Understand, a heat engine is the worst thing, man. Burning gasoline, the best you're gonna do is 70% because of the second law of thermodynamics, which is this evil thing that makes heat spread out through the universe and we're all gonna die. <laughs> so uh, yeah, electric vehicles are better. You guys drive, just try, test drive an electric car. Just try it. Well, what if I wanna drive to Minneapolis? Very few of us do that. <laughs> I mean, no, there are a few people that do. There, I mean, I'll get you that, but most of us choose to fly because it's faster, cheaper, and far less dangerous. Uh, and so you just don't, that old idea of the family vacation and getting the big car for that is sort of finally fading. Stay tuned. The future's gonna be cool. And we have to wrap it up. Oh, sorry. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, we've been talking with science educator Bill Nye and Jason Sussberg, who made the new documentary about Bill Nye's life and work. Podcasts of this and other Climate One shows recorded with a live audience here at the Commonwealth Club are available wherever you podcast. When you download one, please leave us a comment or a rating. We want to know what you think about our conversations about energy, food, water, electric cars, science, all things climate, and more. I'm Greg Dalton. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks, everybody. That was great, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Week to Week from the Commonwealth Club, airing on the Michelle Miao Show on the Progressive Voices Network. I'm John Zipperer, and you can also hear me Tuesdays when I co-host Michelle Miao's program with her. Find out more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. 
be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com.